Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I, Ankit Kedia, Associate Director, Crystal Ratings, welcome all of you to Crystal webinar on the fertilizers sector titled The Fields Turn Fickle. I would like to highlight that the webinar is being recorded. The format of the webinar will be as follows. Presentation by Crystal Ratings team, followed by panel discussion with industry experts, and then a Q&A session towards the end. Today we welcome as our panelist, Mr. Abhay Bajal, Chief Financial Officer, Chambal Fertilizers and Chemicals Limited, and Mr. Manish Gupta, Senior Director, Crystal Ratings Limited. Coming back to today's theme, as most of you would know, the international prices of key fertilizers have more than doubled led by supply constraints, geopolitical reasons, as well as high input cost as of natural gas. In this backdrop, the key question that crops up is how the high fertilizer as well as raw material prices will impact fertilizer industry in India, given its sizable dependence on imports. Our presentation today will attempt to cover aspects such as impact of Russia-Ukraine, high gas, as well as other raw material prices on demand and profitability of fertilizer players in India, and how it may translate into subsidy bill for the government for the fertilizer sector. Let us look at the key findings first. First and foremost, the impact of Russia and Ukraine war on the fertilizer import for India is expected to be moderate. Since India's dependence on Russia is low, except for the potash based fertilizers. Additionally, India is trying to offset the impact by tying up with other countries such as Canada, Israel, and Jordan for meeting the requirements and is also trying to establish alternative mechanisms for financial transactions with Russia. For sectors demand and supply, the fertilizer sales is estimated to have declined by 6% during fiscal 2022 due to uneven distribution of monsoon and unavailability of fertilizers in the international market, especially during the first quarter of the previous fiscal. We expect the sales to grow at a moderate pace of around 3% in the current fiscal, factoring expectation of a normal monsoon. Import dependency in urea is expected to reduce due to recently commissioned and upcoming urea capacities. However, for non-urea, the raw material unavailability constraints new capacities in the country, and so the imports shall continue. As for the subsidy, the raw material prices have jumped to an unprecedented level, and therefore the subsidy requirement during current fiscal is expected to increase further. The announced subsidy budget is likely to fall short by a substantial amount, and additional subsidy will therefore remain key watch out for the sector. In terms of the credit profile of the companies, urea players' profitability is expected to remain stable, while the profitability of non-urea players will be dependent on the revision of NBS rates by the government, which is expected anytime soon. Therefore, credit profile is likely to remain largely dependent on additional subsidy budget for this fiscal, since inadequate subsidy budgeting may lead to high working capital requirements for the companies and weaken their debt protection metrics. Let us now understand each of these views in more detail, and I would like to hand over to Snail for the same. Over to you, Snail. Thank you, Ankit. 
before we begin with the detailed presentation let me take quickly take you through the fertilizer ecosystem first the indian fertilizer industry is dominated primarily by urea and complex fertilizers the fundamental difference between these two categories of fertilizers apart from their nutrient composition is the difference in the subsidy regime under which these two fertilizers operate the subsidy dispensation for urea is done under product based subsidy scheme where the mrp is fixed by the government and subsidy is computed as the difference between the total price and the mrp whereas complex fertilizer operates under nutrient based subsidy scheme called as nbs scheme under which government decides the nutrient wise subsidy each year based on the announcement made by the government the subsidy for different complex fertilizer is calculated for a particular fiscal the mrp for the complex fertilizer is fixed by the companies we have shown two scenarios each for urea and complex fertilizer to demonstrate the difference in the subsidy regimes as you can see in case of urea the mrp is constant and in case of complex fertilizer the subsidy is constant despite change in the total price we will now move on to discuss the demand and supply dynamics in the sector in the next slide in this slide we have shown how the fertilizer sales has moved over the last few years as well as the outlook Fertilizer sales has grown at a CAGR of around 2.9% over the 5 years through fiscal 20 as shown in the chart. The demand for fiscal 21 grew at around 10% due to above average monsoon with good spatial and temporal distribution. However, due to unavailability of fertilizer in the international market and uneven distribution of rainfall, the sales was lower by around 6% during fiscal 22. Since the country continues to remain import dependent in both urea and non-urea segment, the impact is largely seen in the imported segment instead of domestic production going forward we believe that the sales will grow at a moderate rate of around 3% during current fiscal since the fertilizer consumption per hectare of arable land in india is far lower than the other countries also we have seen that the complex fertilizer sales has grown at a higher pace as compared to urea however due to high raw material prices and availability challenges in the international market the demand growth for non urea fertilizer is expected to be slightly lower to around 2.5 to 3% in fiscal 23 this assumes normal monsoon and no major increase in the fertilizer uh, prices during the current fiscal any significant increase in the prices by the players may impact the non urea consumption going forward as well now let us look at how the country looks to meet the increasing demand for fertilizer in the next slide The left chart on the slide shows the import dependency on the individual segments. As you can see, the country continues to remain import dependent on both the urea and non-urea segment. Dependency is higher in non-urea segment due to unavailability of raw materials like rock phosphate and potash, while the dependency in urea manufacturing is towards the LNG imports. The import dependency in urea is expected to reduce in current fiscal due to ramp up of the recently commissioned capacities and upcoming capacities as shown in the right chart. The Gorakhpur unit of HURL was commissioned in December 21. Ramagundam and Metix fertilizer have started operations and two new facilities in Barauni and Sindri are expected to come up during the current quarter. In complex fertilizer availability of raw materials remain a constraint. and hence the sector has not witnessed any major capacity expansions over the past several years while some debottlenecking projects have improved the production levels as well as operational efficiencies for the companies going forward the government is now working closely with department of mining and geological survey of india to 
expedite the exploitation and ramping up of the production of phosphorite deposits as well as the exploration of potassic ore resources in india this may increase the indigenous production and reduce the import dependency for non urea segment over the medium to long term overall the import dependency for urea is expected to reduce to around 15% while it is expected to remain around 25 to 26% for the non urea fertilizers during the current fiscal we will now move on to discuss the impact of russia ukraine war on the supply aspects before assessing the impact let us discuss the global trade dynamics and india's dependence on the countries for the imports in this slide we have presented the details of three key fertilizers which are imported in india which includes urea dap and mop urea is the largest consumed fertilizer globally china is the largest producer and exporter of urea followed by middle eastern countries while india and brazil are one of the largest importers india imports urea largely from china and middle eastern countries moving on to dap mena region has the largest deposits of phosphates and hence they are one of the largest exporters of dap they along with china and russia form around 75% of the exports globally india imports dap mainly from china us saudi arabia and morocco in terms of mop canada russia and belarus have the largest deposits of potash and hence they are the largest producers and exporters of mop india imports mop from canada russia belarus and other middle eastern as well as european countries in the next slide we will show the trend of the import dependency of india on the russia belarus and ukraine in the left chart we have shown the trend of total fertilizer imports from russia ukraine and belarus as you can see the imports have largely remained in the range of around 10 to 12% in most of the years the dependency is higher around 30% for the potash based fertilizers and raw materials specifically as shown in the right chart the dependency is very low for urea other non urea fertilizers as well as for the natural gas and it can be easily substituted to other countries we have shown the import dependency of natural gas also in the bottom graph government is currently in discussion with other countries like canada jordan and israel for tie up of the fertilizers especially the mop and has also directed some of the companies to import and store fertilizers for the upcoming kharif season to minimize any supply impact an mou has already been signed with israel fertilizer company for supply of mop till 2027 since the import of mop by india forms less than 5% of the total global trade the impact is expected to be moderate moreover to resolve uncertainty over payment and logistical issues the government and rbi are exploring alternative mechanisms to process financial transactions with russia such as bilateral trade in rupee and ruble in the next slide we will show the movement of the raw material and imported fertilizer prices and its outlook in the top chart we have shown the trend of pool gas prices and gas consumption by the fertilizer industry over the past several years and its outlook for the current fiscal pool gas prices is essentially a mix of domestic and imported gas operated by gale as you can see the prices have jumped by around 80% during fiscal 22 to reach around 1050 rupees per mmbtu primarily driven by the increase in the domestic as well as lng prices both spot and contracted in the current fiscal pool gas prices are expected to further increase to around 1200 rupees per mmbtu due to increase in the domestic apm prices 
and sustenance of the contracted and spot LNG prices at elevated, elevated levels as shown in the bottom chart. The APM prices have already been increased to $6.1 per MMBTU and is expected to remain in the range of seven, $6 to $7 during the current fiscal. Overall, with this increase in the pooled gas prices, the manufacturing cost of urea is likely to go up in the current fiscal. In the next slide, we will look into the imported raw material and fertilizer prices and outlook for the same. In the left chart, we have shown the international urea and DAP prices, while in the right chart, we have shown the international rock phosphate and potassium chloride prices. As you can see, the prices have started increasing since first half of fiscal 22, primarily due to increasing the global energy prices and export ban by China, which is one of the largest exporters as shown previously. Currently, the prices have increased further due to Russia-Ukraine war and certainly associated, uncertainty associated around it. Especially, the prices of potash has increased considerably in the past one and a half months. Going forward, the prices ex are expected to remain elevated during Q1 of current fiscal and is expected to normalize from June 22 onwards, given China is expected to resume exports and the situation in Russia and Europe is expected to ease. We will now move on to discuss the impact of the same in the subsidy requirements in the next slide. This chart shows the built-up of the subsidy areas over the years. As on fiscal 20, the total areas were around 48,000 crores. During fiscal 21, the government provided an additional subsidy of around 62,000 crores, leading to significant reduction in the areas for the companies. Coming to fiscal 22, the unprecedented increase in the raw metal prices, especially the pool gas price, has led to increase in the subsidy requirements for the year to around 1.5 lakh crore. The government had initially budgeted around 80,000 crores. However, given the increase in the pooled gas prices and the prices for other raw materials and imported fertilizers, the government increased the NBS rates for the non-urea players and also increased the subsidy budget by over 60,000 crores. This has restricted the increase in the subsidy areas in fiscal 22. Considering the increase in the raw metal prices, especially the pool gas prices, the subsidy requirement are expected to increase to around 1.65 lakh crore during current fiscal, assuming there is no change in the NBS rates. Since the budgeted amount as of now is 1.05 lakh crores, this is expected to create a shortfall of around 75,000 crores by the end of next fiscal. While the government has been very supportive in terms of providing additional subsidy of over 60,000 crores, for the past two years, any additional subsidy during the current fiscal will remain a key monitorable. Moreover, it is likely that the government may increase the NBS rates for the potash component since the impact of Russia-Ukraine crisis is majorly in the potassic fertilizers. Hence, we have also shown a scenario wherein if the NBS rates of K increases by 100%, that is from 10 to 20 rupees per kg, the subsidy requirements will increase further by 2,500 to 3,000 crores. In the next few slides, we will present the impact of the same in the profitability and other key credit metrics of the sector. For the purpose of this assessment, we have considered companies which form around 60% of the total fertilizer sales in India. In the left-hand graph, we have shown the EBITDA pattern for the urea players, while the right graph shows the EBITDA pattern for the non-urea players. 
As you can see in the left graph, the EBITDA per ton for the urea players have largely remained stable, driven by the pass-through of the cost of natural gas, despite variations in the past. The companies are entitled for the agreed fixed cost by the government. The reduction in EBITDA per ton during fiscal 22 is primarily driven by the revision of energy norms of some of the companies, which are in the process of completing the energy saving capex, and the profitability is expected to bounce back in the current fiscal. For the non-urea, the profitability is linked to the ability of the companies to pass through the variation in the raw material prices in the final fertilizer prices, as well as the fixed NBS subsidy, which is provided by the government. The profitability has improved over the past few years, with companies focusing on increasing the efficiency in manufacturing and having long-term strategic tie-ups with global raw material suppliers. However, during fiscal 22, the EBITDA is lower due to increase in the raw material prices, while the government asked the companies not to increase the end product prices and raise the NBS rates only for the P component while keeping the rates of N and K at same level. In the current fiscal, the profitability will be dependent upon the NBS rates, which will be announced by the government shortly. We have shown two scenarios wherein in case of as is situation, that is no change in the NBS rates, the profitability is expected to reduce further, assuming government does not allow the end product prices to increase any further. The second scenario assumes the increase in the rate of potash by 100%, wherein the profitability is expected to sustain. Hence, the announcement of NBS rates remains critical for the profitability of the non-urea players this fiscal. In the next slide, we will present the impact of all these in the key credit metrics. In this slide, we have shown the historical trend of key credit metrics as well as the outlook for fiscal 23. We have shown two scenarios here. The as is scenario reflects the situation wherein there is no change in the NBS rate and also there is no additional subsidy provided by the government. While the second scenario factors increase in the NBS rates by 100% and additional subsidy of 60,000 crores similar to last year. The left graph shows the trend of interest coverage ratio, while the right graph shows the debt-to-equity ratio. As you can see, the credit metrics improved substantially during fiscal 21 and fiscal 22 due to additional subsidy from the government, which resulted in lower working capital borrowings and interest expenses for the companies. In the next fiscal, additional subsidy will keep the credit metrics afloat, while absence of additional subsidy will result in increase in the working capital borrowings and interest expenses and subsequently bring back the metrics to near previous levels. Hence, the additional subsidy remains critical for the credit metrics to sustain and therefore will remain a key monitorable going forward. This brings me to the last slide of the presentation. Just to summarize, fertilizer demand is expected to remain steady during current fiscal. Import dependency in urea is expected to reduce while it is expected to sustain for non-urea. Impact of Ukraine-Russia crisis is expected to remain moderate in Indian imports. Government is tying up with other countries to minimize the supply impact. Substantial increase in the raw material prices is expected to increase the subsidy requirements, and therefore, the subsidy budget is likely to fall short substantially. The additional subsidy and the change in NBS rates remain critical for sustenance of the credit metrics for the fertilizer players. There are also some key emerging trends in the sector which will be a key watchouts, such as capacity expansion in the non-urea segment replacing the bag urea, 
use of green hydrogen and its associated policies and change in the regulatory scenario like implementation of actual dbt to the farmers with this i conclude this presentation and invite nitesh to initiate and moderate the next section that is panel discussion thank you snail and ankit for an insightful presentation before moving to our next section i would like to announce that crisp ratings has recently launched a mobile app ratings analytica and a portal ratingsanalytica.com to offer high quality timely and actionable insights by combining data domain expertise and decades of institutional experience we have been receiving several requests from the audience for the webinar presentations i would like to inform that even presentation for today's webinar will be available on our mobile app as well as portal in next few days you may also download their mobile app by scanning the qr code visible on your screen now we will move to the panel discussion which is a key highlight for today's event so let me uh, so in and during the panel discussion we would also be running a poll to know the participants view on the fertilizer sector so now we begin our panel discussion which is a key highlight for today's event i welcome our first panelist mr abhay bajal chief financial officer of chamber fertilizers mr bajal is an engineering graduate from delhi college of engineering and a management graduate from iim calcutta mr bajal has rich experience of more than 3 decades prior to chamber he has worked in various renowned organizations such as hindustan unilever birla home finance and crusel welcome mr bajal actually mr bajal is stuck in a some urgent meeting he should be joining us shortly our next panelist mr manish gupta is a senior director at crusel ratings limited manish is responsible for a large portfolio of corporate and infrastructure sector clients he is also a senior rating committee member manish is an mba from isb hyderabad and an engineer from iit kanpur with over two decades of experience before joining crusel in 2004 Manish has also worked in Indian Oil Corporation. Welcome, Manish. Uh, thanks, Nitesh. Uh, uh, once again, we thank uh, both the panelists for joining us today. And as I said, Mr. Bajaj should be joining us shortly. So until then, uh, there are a lot of questions from the audience which you have taken at the time of the registration. I thought let's discuss uh, uh, those questions first. And Manish, the first question uh, I, I would request if if you could take up. so the the question is largely coming on the subsidy budget because uh, uh, in our presentation also we did talk about uh, the subsidy budget of 1.05 and the likelihood could be higher so what's your view on the subsidy uh, and how do you see the subsidy budget panning out for this year yeah i think uh, as you guys rightly mentioned the uh, subsidy budgeted for this year is just a little above uh, 1 lakh crore uh and this is going to be definitely falling short uh, of the requirements for this year uh i think our present estimates uh, suggest subsidy requirement of around 1.6 lakh crore in the current fiscal uh we are already seeing the pool gas prices uh, rising as high as 18 dollars per mm btu in march uh we expect that uh, these these high gas prices may continue at least for a couple of quarters uh, more uh and may fall down subsequently 
But uh, uh, so this is what we are currently baking in uh, when we are saying 1.6 lakh crore for the current fiscal. However, in case the gas prices still remain high uh, uh, or at the current levels, these uh, subsidy requirement can go up uh, to as high as 1.8 to 1.9 or even touching 2 lakh crores, uh, which will be like a double of uh, the subsidy budgeted for this year. So that's at least what we're seeing uh, at this point in time uh, on subsidies, uh, Ritesh. Thanks, thanks, Manish. And uh, Sneel, if I, if I can address the next question to you, and this question has come from uh, Mr. Amitav Chakravarti, MD and CIO of Kitara Capital. So his question is, how debt or phosphate pricing outlook in India currently unremunerative for manufacturing or trading? Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Nitesh. Uh, so basically, uh, the DAP prices have recently been uh, already increased by the companies few days back, and this is primarily because of the increase in the input cost. While the government has not yet announced the NPS rates, however, the further in this in increase in the prices uh, may fall short for the uh, for the non-urea players, and. Uh, the NDS rate announcement will certainly remain a key uh, watch out here, and that will play a key role for uh, you know any further increase in the DAP or the non-urea uh, fertilizer prices. So as soon as the government announces the uh, the NBS rates uh, very shortly, which is expected, uh, probably uh, you know we can see the impact on the on the prices. However, we believe that. The, the government has been, you know, supportive in terms of, uh, you know, controlling the prices. Uh, just like last year, they have been, uh, you know, uh, requesting the company companies and the players not to increase the prices and supported farmers uh, to that extent. Uh, so hence, uh, if there is a substantial increase in the NBS rates uh, uh, by the government, probably we could see that the prices remain under under control for this fiscal. Okay. Thanks, thanks, Nilan. Just a connected question, uh, Manish, and just coming back to you. Uh, and this question is largely on the profitability. If we see, uh, 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 as Nahil was also saying on the NBS rate, etc., that's a key input from a profitability point of view. So what's your outlook on the profitability for urea as well as non-urea? Yeah, I think uh, uh, you're right. I mean, the profitability impact will be different for both uh, urea and non-urea, as uh, you rightly mentioned in your presentation that uh, the business models per se are also different in terms of uh, subsidy. So for the urea players, the key component uh, impacting the margins is natural gas. Here, the variation of this gas prices are passed through to subsidy bills, and hence we do not expect the profitability to be impacted for the urea players. Margins still may uh, vary, and that uh, variation can be uh, a function of uh, the actually uh, the actual energy consumptions uh, which are there vis-a-vis uh, -vis the norms which are set up by the government. We have seen that some of the companies have recently completed their uh, energy saving capex, and hence actually we may see an improvement in profitability for urea players in the current fiscal. So this is for the urea side. And coming to the non-urea players, uh, here subsidy is fixed and players are free to change their MRP uh, to reflect the, uh, the, the input costs as well as the competitive scenario. So as a matter of fact, here the companies have increased the prices by over 10% just a few days back. Uh, we, however, believe that uh, this may not be adequate to offset uh, the entire increase in the raw material cost that we have seen. Uh, 
Last fiscal also, uh, we have already seen a dip in the profit margin for the non-urea players since rates were increased only for the P component uh, as I was also highlighted by uh, Snehil. Uh, going forward uh, to maintain profitability levels, either the NBS rates needs to be revised by the government in line with the rise in the raw material cost or the companies would need to increase the prices. So both of these aspects will be important and critical and will be a key monitorable for uh, the non-urea players uh, to sustain their profitabilities. So this is, this is what as of now we are seeing uh, uh, on, on the profitability for these fertilizer players. Thanks, thanks Manish. And there are uh, certain uh, questions on the live chat also and uh, I will address one question which is uh, from Tushar Gupta. So Tushar, when we say current fiscal, yes you are right, that is FI23, that's the year which we are referring to. Uh, so there are questions uh, on the green hydrogen and let me address that question and the question is from Amol Singh. So what is the expected impact in cost of fertilizer with the introduction of green hydrogen? And Amol, let me address this question largely from the urea uh, manufacturing because the gas is the key component in the urea manufacturing. So as you know, the uh, urea is, is uh, the manufacturing is more like a cost plus. So today, uh, uh, you know, whatever the investment has been done, that's being reflected in the price or the pricing mechanism rather. If you see any uh, further investment, be it green hydrogen or something, obviously they, that has to be done in line with the government policy. So government needs to come out uh, with, with the policy for the green hydrogen and that needs to be built in from a pricing point of view. So moving on uh, to, the, to the next question and uh, 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 Ankit, if you could address uh, there are certain questions on the uh, input prices for urea, essentially the gas. So what's the outlook which we have on the gas prices? Yeah, sure it is. So uh, in case of uh, fertilizers, uh, uh, we basically use the term pooled gas prices, which uh, is a mixture of uh, you know domestically produced uh, gas, which comes at a APM price. And then we also have the contracted uh, LNG uh, and the, the shortfall is then met through the spot LNG. So right now, uh, if you look at uh, the APM prices were recently revised to $6.1 per mm BTU, uh, uh, effective 1st of April 2023, uh, 2022, uh, which would be applicable uh, for the next six months. So which is which is a revision from the $2.9 per mm BTU price. So uh, one can clearly see that, uh, you know, it is more than doubled. Similarly, the contracted LNG prices are also expected to average around 11 to 12 uh, dollar per MMBTU for uh, the current fiscal. And uh, uh, though the spot prices are difficult to predict, but uh, uh, anyways, their proportion in the overall mix is low. And therefore, uh, here, uh, uh, as we have also mentioned in the presentation, that in the first half, the prices uh, or the pooled gas prices may remain at an elevated level of around $18 per MMBTU, uh, which would come down in the second half uh, with, the, with the with the softening of uh, the contracted LNG and the spot LNG prices. Okay, thanks, Angit. So there is one question from Deepika Mehta. Uh, she she has uh, uh, put up a question on the DBT implementation. So Deepika, as you know, uh, uh, and, and let me address this question. So DBT implementation, there are two uh, level of DBT one can say. One, the DBT which is in the current form where even today the DBT technically has been implemented. The way it works is the fertilizer manufacturer uh, are being paid the subsidy 
at the time of uh, or that is linked to point of sale machine pos machine the moment farmer uh, buy the fertilizer and that's the point when the fertilizer uh, companies are being paid the subsidy so that is being done i think you are uh, referring to the uh, direct subsidy which is being directly paid to uh, the farmers so i think uh, that there is no additional update uh, at this juncture so let me uh, take it forward and there is uh, one more question and uh, uh, snehil if you want to take up that question so the question is from sneha she is asking what would be the impact of the disruption in the fertilizer segment on food prices uh, so it's it's largely the food prices and the food inflation right so uh, nitesh uh, in case of uh, the food inflation will be dependent on how we are uh, i mean passing on the prices uh, to the farmers now clearly in case of urea the prices are fixed and roughly around 50 to 55% of the total fertilizer consumption in india is urea while the remaining is non urea that is dap npk mop and ssp now for the urea component the the prices are fixed by the government and the remaining is passed as a subsidy so there is no change in the prices for the farmers and that would certainly not impact uh, the food inflation uh, that to that extent and for the non urea prices the fertilizer players have already increased the prices by around 10% but they may not be sufficient so, secondly the fertilizer uh, the the cost of fertilizer in the overall food production production is also very small uh, compared to the food grains and other uh, other cost that the, fert, uh, the that the farmers uh, you know spend so uh, so the impact to that extent for the increase in the non urea fertilizer prices in the food inflation is also expected to be lower to that extent secondly if there is an increase in the nbs rates by the government then probably the increase in nbs non urea fertilizer prices will also uh, be limited and that would something be uh, supportive for the for the food prices to remain uh, at current levels and not increase by a significant uh, amount so therefore uh, the the food in inflation is something which is not expected to uh, go significantly higher than what it is uh, at a current level uh, in the current fiscal okay okay thank thanks neil so uh, let me ask uh, uh, a question manish is this linked to the credit profile and the uh, financial debt matrix so this question has come from anurag singh uh, svb yes bank so the question is the financial risk profile of all the entities in the fertilizer sector improved as on march 31 2021 with additional allocation of subsidy now that we see phenomenal rise in the fertilizer prices will this impact fertilizer in entities government is already facing several challenges on various fronts with, with respect to the budgetary constraint do you expect adopt additional allocation for subsidy for the current year well uh you know uh government has definitely uh, provided additional subsidy in the last two years so so, so what it appears is that they are certainly ceased of the affairs uh, of what's happening around and the intention of the government is also very clear that uh, that they they are likely to continue to provide the support at least uh, that's that's what we see uh, at this point in time uh the fiscal headroom whether that will be available uh, to the uh, for the government and uh, uh, also how they will uh, uh, react to the nbs uh, rates 
that still remains a key monitorable and uh, we will have to uh, look at that aspect as we move forward. I think that's like broadly what we say, it's a bit uncertain uh, uh, and will be quite dependent upon how government reacts uh, on, on uh, the current situation. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Manish. So while we have addressed this question, but uh, Anki, there is one more question on the natural gas. Uh, I'll just put it for you. Uh, Mr. Anil Vaishak, uh, Piran Capital, is asking this question. So any government intervention expected to provide subsidy in natural gas for the fertilizer industry? That's the question. You're on mute. Okay. Yeah, so sure. So uh, the government already, uh, you know, uh, provides support through subsidies of fertilizer company, and that is, uh, you know, to compensate for uh, the natural gas prices. So that support is already uh, uh, there, and uh, we expect it to continue. That's right. So, uh, uh, Anilji, the question, the answer is that the natural gas prices for UVA manufacturing is already passed through. So, whatever the pooled gas prices that is being built in, and uh, while the retail price remains the same, whatever is the delta is being compensated by government directly to the manufacturers. So, uh, Manish, there is one more question uh, uh, pertaining to the uh, credit profile. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the uh, audience is asking that given the significant strengthening of the balance sheet in last two fiscals, benefiting from the uh, adequate subsidy or, or other additional subsidy, uh, and we have seen the clearance of the area, which is a key uh, issue from credit rating point of view of the fertilizer companies. So do you see the reversal of this improvement as subsidy bill mount up for the government? And what's your view uh, on the credit profile of fertilizer companies? Okay, um, sure. Thanks, uh, Nitesh, uh, for asking this question. I would say that, you know, uh, under budgeting of the subsidy as well as increase in receivables, this has been an industry level issue for long. Uh, we have seen that subsidy receivables have been as high as 200 days until fiscal 2020. Uh, this actually led uh, the fertilizer companies to borrow heavily in the past for their working capital needs. And apart from that, I mean, the, this not only led to increased financial leverage, but also results in uh, higher in, uh, interest costs, which eats into the net profitability of uh, fertilizer players. Hence, this definitely is a credit issue and it's an important monitorable for us. Now, again, I mean, uh, repeating the point that uh, giving due credit to the government, uh, I think uh, they are seized with the matter and uh, they provided almost 1.2 lakh crore of additional subsidy in the last two budgets. This resulted in substantial reduction in the subsidy receivables and consequently the leverage has also come uh, down quite uh, materially. Having said that, uh, the level of subsidy receivable will still remain important monitorable insofar as credit quality of the fertilizer players are concerned. Uh, this sensitivity around uh, receivables has only increased uh, in the current scenario uh, because we're yet to hear from the government on how they will be reacting on the situation. Uh, in case of any uh, lower incremental allocations by the government, uh, we may see uh, increase in the subsidy receivables and thereby debt levels uh, for the fertilizer players. Having said that, uh, we uh, also factor in that uh, these receivables are backed by the government. And there is a track record of support available, such as 
additional subsidy or a special banking arrangements and all. So hence, uh, there is some bit of a, uh, a confidence that we build in, in, uh, into this uh, and not treat it as a normal uh, receivable. Uh, but having said that, uh, continued high receivables may restrain uh, the financial flexibility of the companies and eventually impact the credit profile of the players as well. And hence, uh, it's an important monetable still. Thanks, Manish. So both subsidy as well as the NBS rate are the monetable. Uh, uh, good afternoon, Mr. Bajal. Sir, you are on mute, it seems. So while we were waiting for you, sir, we, we, we thought we will take up some of the other questions. Uh, thank, thanks for joining in for, from your busy schedule, sir. So let me come directly to the question, Mr. Bajal. And uh, we, we did discuss about uh, various aspects on the subsidy, credit profile, uh, natural gas prices, etc. So uh, my first question to uh, you, Mr. Bajal, is we, we are seeing very unprecedented time and fertilizer is one of the most impacted sectors uh, due, due to this ongoing conflict and taking a call on the demand, etc. could be like a crystal ball gazing, but let me still, uh, you know, you to, to, to reach out to you and understand your perspective that how do you see the global situation currently and what could be the likely impact on India? No, definitely there is a large supply-side shock. Uh, Russia was an important or is an important supplier of fertilizers and other commodities to Europe. So, for instance, most of their DAP, calcium nitrate, uh, NPKs, grades, all of them came from their three or four companies, Eurocamp, Foss, Agro, Aircall, and so on. So on so forth. Now, I am told that the government of Russia has been going through a process of putting import export quotas and so on. There is some within inverted commas discussion about unfriendly countries. My view is that the Europe is quite heavily dependent on Russian commodities. They will make a lot of noise. That noise will create a tariff barrier kind of situation and generally the flow to Europe will reduce. Now obviously either Europe then imports the grains, produces less or does some kind of other balancing by taking material from North Africa and other places, China for instance. Now they are in a bind. China, Russia together, they are not going to, you know, allow too much of, because that leverage that Russia has on commodities, especially fertilizer. My reading is that there must be some tacit understanding between China and Russia also. Not to give a free pass to the Europeans on this. So generally, they will now go back to North African producers. North African producers will see heavy demand, basically Morocco, uh, maybe Egypt, maybe so those Algeria, those kind of countries where there are maybe surpluses to export. And on the phosphatic side, there will be heavy demand coming from Americas, uh, as well Latam, Brazil and so on. On to one or two people, that is Morocco, Sabic, etc., all those people. 
So they will have their hands full. So once their hands are full, their quotas to places like India, which are also deficit, will be, you know, they cannot also ramp up capacity because, you know, these chemical plants can be, you know, de-bottleneck to 2, 3, 4%, but you, you want a quantum jump in terms of supplies, then that's not possible. It's not a seamless growth. So obviously there will be shortages, rationing, allocations, quotas, and people generally will have to do with less fertilizer in my opinion, all over the world. And that will cause price spikes which are already happening. That will create its own dynamic in terms of either plantations being less or uh, whatever. And the resultant impact will be a general reduction in food supplies across the world. In the next season, the food supplies being less, stocks being drawn down, will create even more pressure to generate from the land. And so the dynamic will be in all places is to plant. So the next to next season will be even worse in my in my opinion in terms of pricing. Even though the there will be some relaxation because my own impression of the war is that it is now reaching a, a stalemate phase. And in a stalemate phase, both parties have to sit down and work out the best face saver for each other. Okay. Now, what are the terms on either side? I'm not uh, very... Uh, nobody knows exactly what are the terms on either side. But in terms of time frame, I can say that it looks like being, being resolved in summer, which is June, July kind of time frame. Thereafter, the sanctions will get loosened one by one, one by one, one by one. And uh, there will be some acceptable formula, pay those much for damages, this, that, blah, blah, blah. Some or two commissions on inquiry of war crimes from either side and so on. So at the end of the day, this whole thing will start unwinding by July, August, September. And then it should settle down by December. So better part of this year, at least three quarters, we have this situation. And uh, with the result that the Kharif and Rabi season, at least in India, will go with either very high prices or maybe to some extent certain. See, India, fortunately, fortunately, and the advice of the industry, India did stock up on phosphatics to some extent, uh, especially DAP, in the months of uh, January, February, uh, when the, we came out of the Kharif season and uh, we met personally with the secretary and the uh, ministers and so on, it was emphasized by the industry and appreciated by the government that this is a very large operation inside the country. We are requiring between DAP and PK about 20 million tons and plus or minus another 2-3 million tons. And therefore, we need uh, a stocking level of at least 2-3 to 3 million tons at all times. And so we need to build up the stocks. So this uh, thought process has been well appreciated and the government went ahead and allowed companies or gave them assurances to port and so on. 
and also produce. So I think Kharif season for the country is more or less covered as far as phosphatics are concerned. Urea is not a problem. We only pay more for gas and somebody as I entered was mentioning in terms of escalation claims and so on. But at least the production is there and we have got Gorakhpur starting up in HURL. Matix has already started producing. Ramgandam is uh, not fully to the westing, but I think one or two equipments uh, were giving trouble, but that they should be able to sort it out in another three, four months' time. So we have added capacity actually in this period. Must give credit to the government that they thought about the, you know, uh, this issue gave the policy for new plants and those plants have started coming on street. Urea, I would say by and large the situation is uh, okay. We have also imported about 1.3 million tons, a fairly good price, 595 levels. Okay. Uh, in February, the government opened a tender and that also came. So we are, as far as the uh, stocking for, for Kharif is concerned, is not very much a problem. Okay. As I said, the problem is if this lingers on or the sanctions create problems, because you must also remember that there has been large-scale destruction. Odessa, Mariupol, uh, Pevdeni. These ports are also in trouble in terms. Even if you produce, you have to evacuate out of certain... There are logistics challenges. Now, I do not know uh, exactly what the situation is in Black Sea. But Black Sea generally is out. Now, that has created its own set of problems or other supply chains running into Morocco, for instance, where they are producing DAP. And there is also a problem of sulfur supplies, which is uh, quite a bit of that comes from Russia. So sulfur is shot up to unprecedented levels, $450 levels. That has its own impact on sulfuric acid, and sulfuric acid thereby has an impact on cost acid costs. Roughly one ton per ton is required for the production of false assets. So if $300, it has gone up from $150 level, sulfur has gone to $450. That $300 will definitely feed into the prices of all other things being equal, will definitely feed. So prior to this crisis, we were running 780, 790, 770 levels. So 1070 levels to is anyways there because of the sulfur issue. And sulfur is not an issue which is going away because uh, sulfur is also dependent on supplies coming from refineries. <laughs> when sour crude is refined, then sulfur is produced. And you know that because of disruptions that have happened in COVID and so on, plus the move for electric vehicles, and now this supply is not coming from Russia and all that, or lower running of uh, uh, refineries, middle distillates, and so on. As a result of that, uh, you know that there is another crisis which is there in Europe, is diesel crisis. And diesel crisis is such, such an acute one that people are saying that within three to five days, if the supplies are not made, I mean, they are running on, on consumption to stock ratio of, you know, ridiculously low levels of three days, five days, seven days kind of so, with that being the case, the sulfur supplies are tight and will remain tight at least 
okay. till the end of the year. So we are looking at a very high cost FOSS asset, which feeds into uh, high cost uh, uh, DAP. And the same price at the same time because of the disruption in ammonia supplies. There's also another cost driver. So everything that is about FOSS acid, which is sulfur and on DAP with respect to ammonia, both are getting hit and driving the prices up. And so will also with all other NPKs, at least till October, November this year. That's my own impression. Thanks, thanks so, for the... Yes, sir. Yeah. No, sir thank, thanks for the comprehensive answer. And the near-term challenges, especially for the complex fertilizer, is there. But urea, you said, is largely covered. So, sir, this is a demand side story. Oh, sorry, supply side story. How do you see the demand uh, for both urea and non-urea for the current year? Any any uh, estimate? Any any what's your view there? That I say the demand would depend on. I am not an expert, but somebody has to run through World Food Organization tables and see the stocks consumption levels. Uh, normally. Countries do maintain at least one season's consumption. That is, uh, normally every country has two seasons, maximum two and a half or three seasons of plantings. Sure. So, if you were to see population 7.6 billion people multiply by calories and divide by the so many food grains, I am not an expert, but I don't know what the stocking levels are today. Sure. And with the kind of shocks that are there. There are exporters like Ukraine and Russia, which provide 25% of wheat for the world. Also, stuff like barley and so on. So, <laughs> it will have impact on beer prices in any case. But as far as wheat is concerned, I mean, that is a fairly big staple and fairly, very largely consumed in North African countries because there is no agricultural output there. Also, in Southeast Asia, there are major exporters. So I am seeing a very big demand side inflation in food prices. Already the impact of that is being felt in food stores all over the world. And I would say that food inflation would be a major concern for many countries, especially in Africa, where their purchasing power is less and we could witness towards uh, summer uh, food riots, uh, starvation level situations in terms of stocks and so on. Now, what does it have to do with the, the demand? Obviously, once the demand goes up, prices go up, farmers will, so-called in the words of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, get price signals to plant more. The plant more will feed into more demand for fertilizers. So my feel is that that's how I said that the even going forward the demand will demand will pull the prices even if supply starts normalizing. And uh, this interplay between demand and supply will somewhere settle around mid of 23 or so on if all things go well. And there is no crystal gazing available with us to tell us how this situation is going to be. And I think the entire situation will re-stabilize to previous levels in 23-24 second half uh, kind of situation. This year is the year of the shock. 
the shock is traveling around the world at the moment as we speak it is causing its first order effects second order effects will come in another 6-8 months time and then start dying down so it's like that kind of a wave which is traversing the markets that is how i see it so i think a very very important point which you raised from a demand is this on the supply from a global point of view but in the indian context if i just put it uh, and especially uh, i would say that from the mbs rate because that's where you also uh, pointed that the disruption would be higher and we are yet to see the increase in the mbs rate and obviously in in our position we did factor in doubling of the uh, you know the nbs rate for the potash from 10 rupees to 20 and again it's a estimate at this juncture but what's your view in terms of let's say uh, the rate obviously the difficult to gauge the rate uh, increase but let's say whatever the situation would you see that the companies would be able to pass on uh, the, the increase to the farmers i would say that this is another year where the companies will have to satisfy themselves with moderate margins sure uh, given the fact that the government is exercising some kind of uh, i would say legitimate control on the retail prices whether said or unsaid sure now obviously its uh, fallout has to be on the nbs rates for subsidy which we expect are to be such that which should cover current cost maybe future cost and even uh, some kind of uh, reasonable return and so on now that will put big strain on government finances now if the government has to take a call that there is a question of availability and also a question of uh, supplies and the question of uh, compensation to companies who are either producing or importing so the government will have to balance this uh, within the equation that's true and they will have to continue to have the trust of the company i'll put it this way that they will supply them or grant them that uh, adequate uh, uh, subsidy so that they are not out of pocket and because if there is any time a feeling with the company that they will be out of pocket they will stop importing or producing very true so it will then impact the supplies and uh, you must uh, understand that for instance uh, as far as importers are concerned they still have one lever of control but in so far as the producers are concerned they have to uh, be continuous in their production process that means even as we speak they are importing material rock sulfuric acid ammonia etc not knowing what exactly will be their revenue given the fact that the nbs rates are not yet uh, finalized so it's a toss up and uh, you can't blame the companies for clamoring for a a conclusion on this issue but the government has its own reasons they are also waiting and watching and seeing how the things play out they don't want to preempt and they don't want to be too late either they have to give some assurance and at the same time not uh, give a signal to the world market that they have an infinite put on the government of india that whatever price they give 
there is a put option that they have at an every price level there is a put option so then otherwise then you are only writing checks for the rest of the world so that that is also one of the concerns okay prices rise then how much and what should be the level to the farmers now level to the farmers is also a political question it's not merely a economics question so it's a complex interplay of factors but my feeling is that the government are well aware that the companies have told them in no uncertain terms that if you don't give us a proper understanding i would not say pricing understanding by the middle of april then there is difficulty to continue nobody can keep on taking unlimited risk and uh, you know strain their balance sheets there are boards there are rating agencies there are ratios there are liquidity ratios there are all kind of ratios and coverage ratios all that can get impacted if the proper decision is not taken because unfortunately this is also the year end and where the audits will have to be done and publish um, uh, publishing of annual results will have to take place so at that point of time all the measurements are done relevant measurements are done and uh, nobody wants to spoil his financial track so the government is aware of all that and therefore <clears throat> i think some resolution on this issue should be available another 10 15 days time my opinion that's really comforting and in fact just uh, you know manish was saying the same thing that you know uh, that we we also do the rating with factor in that these are sovereign receivable but at some point in time they need to get liquidated if they are building up no that one part is the cash flow the other part is the commitment see okay. here is a question of what is the commitment of the government in terms of the number financing that cash in and out uh, is a different issue that is companies can manage that but if you don't even know what exactly the number will be then there is closing the annual accounts itself is, uh, will be an issue moving on uh, uh, to, to the maybe uh, one more to, uh, question can take up given the interest uh, in the interest of time so the question which is coming and even uh, many of the audience have asked this question and uh, you know if you look at as india we have a significant reliance on the import of the fertilizer so what are the steps government or the industry is taking to augment the domestic production that's part two, part one of the question and we have been doing lot of alternatives such as biofertilizer nano urea green hydrogen so if you could share your views on both these aspects my view is let's start with the bottom uh, heap first nano urea biofertilizer green hydrogen sure green hydrogen will lead to ammonia because at the end of the day there is no difference with the hydrogen obtained from natural resources like wind and this and that uh it all depends on what is and you have to do by electrolysis of water so electrolysis of water is a very energy intensive process all depends on what is the cost of renewable energy come supposing you were to use hydropower at 80 80 90 paisa per unit the different equation if you want to do electrolysis with 6 rupees per kilowatt hour there's a totally different equation okay so it all depends on 
the source at which the electrical or cost of electrical power which is coming. Okay. Green hydrogen is just a, a thought that uh, we could produce ammonia uh, by not burning. So it's a decarbonization. It is not a cost measure. Cost measure will come if you have got cheap energy. There is this clearly a energy costing issue. What is the cost of energy which goes into feeding your uh, urea ammonia plants? Okay. Whether you are using fossil, non-fossil, whatever the case. Now, supposing you are using fossil and you are getting gas at $20. For us, today is the case as, this, as the case is. Now, you will be out of the market as compared to what is being produced in Qatar, for instance, where the cost may be $3 or $4. So, it all boils down to the cost of energy. 75-70% of cost of urea is coming in by way of energy cost. Balance is all other costs such as uh, capital cost, conversion cost, and so on and so forth. Now, if you come to the real issue which is there, nitrogen, for instance, is the basis for making ammonia. Nitrogen is freely available in air. So, there is no cost to the real raw material. It's only cost of transforming it from air into bringing it to a utilization factor to convert, uh, react it with hydrogen and make ammonia. But in the case of phos acid or the case of potash, these are natural resources which are not accessible to India because they are not available in India. The supply chain or the value chain basically lies outside India. There is no other option but to go for some kind of arrangements, investments or uh, taking some stake in those kind of places over a period of time and properly time to low commodity cycles. Okay. There's no point in, at this point of time, going at high commodity cycle peak and trying to acquire assets which will bankrupt you over a period of time. But there is always a point that you will have to say that what is the long-term situation going to be. And we have seen that uh, at one point of time, we were getting FOSS acid in 2000, 2002, 2003 time frame. At 110, 120, 130 dollars. The same damn thing is they are talking $2,000. Okay. Same way you see ammonia was, uh, you know, basically tied to uh, natural gas prices. Natural gas used to be considered a throwaway. It was considered a byproduct of, uh, you know, uh, petroleum extraction or crude extraction. And that was associated gas. But gas came into its own the moment technology developed in order to transport it, uh, liquefy it and transport it and create uh, supply chains on the basis of floating, uh, you know, putting it into ships and then taking it out, then regasifying, then all that kind of thing. So that is how they unlocked value in natural gas. Now, natural gas by itself has now become a... Uh, a rival mm-hmm. to crude to some extent. We are using it in transportation, we are using it for cooking, and we are using it for fertilizer and so on and so forth. Okay. Now, natural gas, it depends whether India has or does not have, and 
what it can do to secure supplies going backward. I don't know how, how that not a not an expert on that. But as far as phosphorus, potash, etc., are concerned, there are only potash. There are only five six places in the world where you get potash. Now, can you develop stuff like they are talking about potash from molasses? They are talking potash from seaweeds. What is the extent or potential of that type of uh, is something which technology has to develop to prove? So government are trying all these things. They are talking to people, trying to do pilots, understand exploiting and understanding when you scale up what will be the cost, the technology development board and so on. So they are talking. A lot of these things are being talked about. Nano urea is a I don't know whether to call it a breakthrough or innovation or uh, at the moment I would put it somewhere between a trial and an innovation where it is being uh, yet to be proven in its completeness. Uh, uh, but what it and how it does, whether 2%, 3% improvement and so on, this is definitely a... The third thing that the government can do is to look at efficiency of utilization. See, quite a bit of the application of urea or this thing might also be going waste. They say that 35 to 40% is the uptake in nitrogen efficiency in urea. Now, supposing you have to improve it by 5-10%. To that extent, without uh, reducing yield, you could improve the or reduce the amount of uh, nitrogen or this thing. Fourth thing is policy measures. Should you increase the price of urea to bring it to a level where Excessive or wasteful use is brought down. That is another uh, possibility. And uh, fifth is to uh, look at uh, uh, modalities of manufacture. Should you manufacture uh, phosphatic fertilizers directly from rock or should you make it from phosphorus? Now, the difference between the two is that if you've got a phosphorus plant converting it to uh, starting from rock, then you have a capacity to blend from various supplies, provided you have the capacity to deal with igneous, non-igneous rocks and the various impurities that come and utilize those, uh, you know, technical issues. I'm no expert, but that's what I hear or I've read. But at least you can get rock from Morocco also, Peru also, from also from Jordan and so on and so forth, and you can make some some cocktail by which you can manage, okay, two or three places. But supposing you had only false asset, then you normally get tied only to one source. That's the only... So you may have to enter into long-term supply contracts for false asset, or you may like to develop plants which now... So far, hitherto, there have been issues in terms of gypsum disposal and so on. Now, I am told that there is this sensitivity about phosphogypsum and so on, which now dying down to some extent. And two, that the gypsum is available or could be used by uh, cement industry. And if it is used by cement industry, then there is a natural uh, without creating heaps and mountains about uh, the, the, the gypsum you could actually be disposing it and actually make some money out of it. So then, it uh, though, though those kind of things, the uh, downside is that uh, putting up a process plant pretty expensive. The capital cost per ton could run in 
to the extent of something like 900 to 1000 dollars per ton annual capacity so if we are looking at a 400000 to 450000 ton plant you could i mean it could cost you 450 it could cost you 550 depending on that's a pretty large investment for people to make so uh, there the question of appropriate pricing then the capability to pass it on with it see because you are competing with imports and you are starting from there you need some kind of pli or do i don't know what those kind of things are there i have not studied the matter in great depth but my opinion is that like in urea where we have at the cost of the taxpayer and others created attractive return on investment structures for people to come in and build plants which we have done and which hurl are doing and others are doing at least the capacity gets built and once the capacity gets built over a period of time it's one way or the other a national asset and uh, same way if you create and uh, i my own opinion on this matter in various forums i have told people that the FOSS asset to final capacity that we have or consumption that we have is pitifully low. Uh, you need to build at least two plants or three plants of, and bring in at least 1.4, 1.5 million tons of FOSS asset capacity to get out of uh, some of these situations. Because if you want to store phosphate uh, as a stock and stock it, the best way to do it is fossil. I mean, storing it as rock is a difficult proposition. Storing it as a final product is also problematic. Mm-hmm. I mean, where is the space to keep that kind of, uh, it will be costly also. But you can, if you have an own manufacturing capacity, you can create fossil asset and store it in tax and use it as and when. So you can create kind of like strategic petroleum reserve you could create a strategic phosphatic acid reserve. My entirely my thinking, I'm not I'm discussing this uh, thinking aloud in this sure. But these are the ways in which the country can look to forget about the pricing, the sheer availability issue and mm-hmm. the impact it has on food security sometimes keeps me sleepless at night. So that is something with the government ought to consider in detail and think about and work with the industry to work out some packages by which capacity gets built. Yes, I think it's, it's a going to be joint effort by government and the uh, companies. So we would actually like to continue this interesting discussion yes, for even possibility yeah, of time. Uh, we will now move to the question and answer. In fact, we have taken most of the questions already. Uh, but before we move to the uh, next segment, I would like to inform that a feedback poll will shortly be visible on your screen. And request you to share uh, your feedback by selecting appropriate option. So, uh, Nitesh, do you want me to remain or I could leave? If, if you could remain, we, we are just closing in five minutes. So it, it would be really great if you could remain for five minutes. So, ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Uh, you will be able to see the Q&A chat box at the bottom of your screen. If you have a question, please type your question there along with the name of your company and await for your turn. And, uh, Mr. Bajal, there is one question already and uh, uh, if, I, if I can read it out question for you. Yeah. 
So uh, this question has come from Anurag Patel, and uh, his question is: What is your view on possibility of fertilizer prices impacting farm level productivity uh, or the usage in coming Kharif, uh, which are some of the fertilizer in, uh, intensive crops? Uh, and the it says per acre requirement that can be impacted. My fact, my point is that farmers are smart enough to have correlated fertilizer usage with productivity, pricing, and so on. And if you have read reports in the newspaper in the past, this year the prices are going to be elevated. Already merchants and traders are making inquiries. Crop has been harvested, most parts of MP. <clears throat> they are also, as we speak, getting harvested and there is good demand and good pricing. More money in their hands means they will invest more. And uh, all depends on government's uh, subsidy. Uh, announcement because that has a direct bearing on the market pricing. My understanding is that uh, there won't be any. Okay. Okay. So there are other questions, but we have largely uh, covered a special thanks to you in, in terms of addressing many of those questions. So due to shortage of time, I would like to conclude this session. And if there are any further questions, please write to events at crescent.com. On behalf of Crystal Ratings, I convey our sincere thanks to all of you for taking part in today's webinar. We hope that you, you found today's discussion insightful and timely. We also hope that you, your queries have been answered satisfactorily. And I express my deep felt thanks to the speaker uh, for the evening, Mr. Bajal and Mr. Gupta, for sharing their insights, experience, and precious time today. With this, we conclude today's webinar and look forward to connecting with you in our next webinar on rating round rounder which is just the after tomorrow at same time three o'clock thank you and goodbye thank you mr Bajal. thank you thank you mr Bajal. thank you